This podcast contains content that may not be suitable for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on Cry in the Moon's Light. Fleeing Marcel after the gruesome murders, a werewolf saves Milady and the carriage driver from the attack of the black wolf and his pack. The werewolf has similar markings and blue eyes to the mysterious wolf and the stranger in Marcel. They make it safely to Castle Parlemay, but the Hessian's unexpected arrival alters their plans. Colonel Volker presents an order from the king, charging the Hessians with killing the wolves and the beast. Volker orders everyone to stay at the castle until they have completed their mission. Welcome to A Cry in the Moon's Light. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Alan McGill. I'm the author who created this story. I'll also be your narrator. A Cry in the Moon's Light is an action-adventure drama told in 15 episodes. A limited series podcast or audio story. It's the tale of a beautiful young woman who must travel across the country through a dark forest. Our setting is the late 1700s of Eastern Europe. It is a time of horse-driven carriages, muskets, castles, and when the moon is full, hideous creatures of the night. Short on time, the young lady must hurry through the wild country to be at the side of her dying grandmother. But a mysterious creature stalks her every move, and a deadly wolf pack seems determined to kill her. Armed with only her wits and a brave young carriage driver to protect her, she faces the challenges of a long and perilous journey through a dark land. But when two gruesome murders occur in the small town of Marcel, she and her carriage driver make the fateful decision to flee to the safety of a nearby castle. A castle that holds its own secrets. And what happens along the way is the true beginning of our story. Solve the mystery of the wolf. Learn the secret of silver. And discover a world of intrigue, adventure, horror, romance, and love. Join me as we unravel the mystery that is A Cry in the Moon's Light. In this chapter, the Hessians, empowered by an order from the king, have prevented anyone from leaving Castle Parliament until their mission is complete. As they wait, Colonel Volker confronts the carriage driver about Milady's presence in Marcel during the murders. We learn the history of the Hessians and their deadly encounter with a similar creature as they fought for the British in the American Revolution. Welcome to Chapter 5, The Hessians. 
The sun had moved higher in the sky now and was very bright. It was a little warmer, too. I was sure the temperature would be cooler in the forest. The tree's canopy would prevent much of the sunlight getting through just like it did the moonlight. It was a little later in the day now. Following our conversation, my lady walked around the inside perimeter of the castle. After that, she made her way inside and ate lunch with Lord Parlamay and William. I decided to stay close to the horses. A few of the peasant ladies working in the market invited me to eat with them. The food they gave me for my noonday meal was more my style. It was simple peasant food. We sat outside the butcher's shop on some small stools and ate. From the butcher's shop, I could see Captain Barkslow making his rounds to each guard station. He was informing them of the king's order. They beefed up the number of guards to secure the castle. The peasantry was notified so they could find safety if something happened. When I finished eating with the ladies, I returned to the stables so I could repair the harnesses. They would have to be ready to go quickly if my lady gave the word. Harnessing four horses wasn't going to be easy on short notice. They had to be arranged so I could grab them in a hurry. When the time came, I would have to get the horses lined up and buckle them to the carriage before anybody could stop me. It wouldn't be easy as the team was getting more restless by the hour. As I was arranging the harnesses, I was startled by the voice of Colonel Volker. It looks as if you are making preparations to leave. No, keeping busy, passing the time is all. I answered as I grabbed a brush and started running it over Arca's mane. Volker didn't react. He walked over to the carriage, inspecting every inch as he spoke again. That's funny. The way you have those harnesses laid out, it looks as if you are planning to leave. In a hurry, he said skeptically. What is it you want, Colonel? I wasn't intimidated by him either. State to the point, as like that. Why did you sigh about being in the alley? He didn't wait for a response and continued. You was in the alley when we arrived. You was leaving when we got there. You saw us giving chase to the beast through the busted fence. Yet you lied about being there. I shall like to know why. I didn't lie about anything. I never said I was there. Nobody asked me, so I said nothing. The question was posed to my lady, and she wasn't there. Don't be clever. She was in the bar that night, just before the murders. Would you have me believe you didn't tell her about the gruesome scene in the alley? Or that nobody said a word? The entire village was terrified, and you drove this carriage from town right after, as quickly as you could. One of my men saw you. So why did she lie? He hissed impatiently. Let me guess. She knows the beast, doesn't she? He stopped looking over the carriage to face me. It doesn't matter. I'm going to find that beast, and I'm going to kill it. This seems a bit personal for a bunch of wolves, 
much more than a paid hunt. The colonel walked over to Killian and began stroking his mane and petting his muzzle. Killian really didn't like him, so he started bobbing his head up and down. I like this one. He has a great deal of fire in him. Reminds me of the horse I once knew. The colonel kept petting Killian as he continued, undeterred by Killian's protest. Does you know what I am, where we are from? He asked. Hessians, I answered. That is correct. Many years ago, I served under a great commander. We left our homeland and traveled to a place called Zork to fight alongside the British crown. They hired us to aid their army in a war with seeding colonists from the Americas. There was fifty men in my regiment. I was but a frontline soldier then. But my commander was a great man, seasoned fighter. He had survived many battles over the years. Helped to drive out the Rus in our homeland and later the Norse. It was fall, much like it is now. The days were often cool, but warmer when the sun was high. The evenings and nights were cold. We fought mostly in force, not unlike this one. Although this one is a bit darker. But there was a section of forest in the upper lands of York that was dark like this one. There was a long valley or hollow that was full of dark pines and thick timber. Not much light shines there. Nights seemed especially cold and the entire place had a slower pace. Our army had marched through some dense forest and we were on entrance to this hollow. Commander decided we should make camp there and begin traveling through the next day. As the fires began to grow dim and we were just about to fall asleep, we heard the howl of wolves off in the distance. It was nothing we hadn't heard before. We have wolves in our homeland just like everywhere else in the world. But these wolves, these howls, were somehow different. The men weren't too concerned until the howls got closer. And then they turned to yips and barks. As if the wolves were talking to each other as they watched us. At first, it wasn't a problem. We all knew the tales of the witches in this land, especially of those in Salem, spawn of Satan, who pour evil by casting spells and placing curses on man. Sometimes those curses change men into hideous beasts. But as the sounds went on, anxiety rose in the camp. The commander ordered extra men on the perimeter they was to watch us and warn us. Sometimes I think they was the lucky ones, cause they went first. In the middle of the night, when the moon was highest, we heard their screams. One by one, something dragged them off into the darkness. When the first one was taken, we all jumped to the ready. 
That did not matter, because the next man on the perimeter was snatched. His screams lasted a long time. None of us got any sleeps that night. We turned our backs to the fires, ready for any attack. But none came that night, except for the poor souls on the perimeter. When dawn arrived, the forest was quiet. No howling, no sounds. Not even the songs of the morning birds. Just as daylight coming through the curry cheese. As we packed up our gear, a small group of scouts was sent out to recover the bodies of our lost men. They returned without finding anything. No trace of them was found. So we marched through the hollow, all of us tired, suffering from a lack of sleep. Even though we was exhausted, we felt it was safe because it was the day. We were wrong. Marching through the daylight, nearing the evening, we reached the darkest part of the hollow. There was a long, rough bridge. It was narrow and would only take a few horses and men at a time. Crossing on either side was too steep and there was logs everywhere. The only way was across the bridge. Twilight was coming. We needed to get across so we could make camp before the sun went down. Ten men started across the bridge. The bridge was long and dark. Groves of vines and tree limbs covered it like a cave. It was so dark... You could barely see the other side. Someone had left two lit torches at the entrance to guide visitors across. After the last man was beyond the light of the torches, the screaming began. All we could see was the flash from their muskets. One right after the other. Quick flashes of light showing what was in there with them. It had been hiding in the dark. A large black creature with long fangs and claws striking at the men wildly, killing them one and then the next. In a matter of moments, there was no more musket flashes and the screams had stopped. Those of us waiting to cross aimed our muskets into the bridge, preparing to fire. But in a fit of rage, our commander drew his sword and charged his horse into the blackness. We could not fire, and we could not see. As we heard him fighting the beast, the sound of his horse stamping and letting out whinnies, sounds of a great struggle. Then, everything went quiet. We heard a sump, 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 until we could see what was making that noise. The commander's head had rolled out from the darkness and landed at our feet. Terrified, we all instinctively fired into the blackness. Ten men unloading their muskets into the pitch darkness with one purpose, to kill the creature. 
when the smoke cleared from our guns, we reloaded and fired again. Two of us grabbed the torches. After we reloaded, we went inside, but the beast was nowhere to be found. The light from our torches showed the horror. The soldiers, our men, had been savagely killed, torn to pieces from stem to stern. Our commander's headless corpse lay right in the middle. The colonel reached down, touched his saber that was hanging at his side. This is the sword of my commander, used to attack the beast. It is all that is left of that great man. I have only seen bodies killed is like that once before, in that alley at my cell. He leaned in toward me. Trust me when I tell you, I am going to kill that creature. I am going to cut its head off with this very sword, and I'll kill anyone who gets in my way. Colonel Volker turned and walked out of the stables. I stood there for a moment, taking in everything he had said. Putting the brush down, I walked to the entrance of the stables and watched Volker as he joined his men at the barracks. The creature that saved us wasn't Volker's beast. That was a long time ago, in another continent away. But that didn't matter to Volker or his men. He wasn't going to stop until it was over. While Volker was busy with his men, I needed to find my lady. It was clear Volker knew she had lied about Marcel, and she needed to know why he was so determined. As I searched the castle grounds, I saw William at the armory not far from the front gate. He was talking to one of the guards and inspecting weapons. Barkslow wasn't around, but his men were visible everywhere. As for my lady, I couldn't find her. I searched everywhere, both inside the castle and within the courtyard. It wasn't likely she would have went outside the walls. Then it occurred to me where she might be. There was one place I had not looked. When we had first come to the castle, as the servants were taking me to my room, I noticed a pair of large wooden doors. The doors were off the foyer, across from the dining hall. There was a cross carved into them. This would be the chapel. I made my way through the foyer and opened one of the doors. As I had suspected, when I went inside, my lady was kneeling at the altar. A large wooden cross hung high above. Stained glass windows allowed the light of the day to enter into an array of colors. There were rows of candles on each side of the cross. Candles also lined the walls on either side of the pews. Parishioners entering to worship could light a candle for prayer intentions. This is to say a prayer for someone, and the candle symbolizes that intention. My lady was in the front row with her hood up. Without turning to look at me, she asked if everything was ready. I moved closer to her before I replied. The room was large and the ceilings were high. Some carried through the chamber. Her question had echoed and seemed loud. Who knows where everyone else was? Yes, my lady, I said softly. Everything is in order. 
She asked for the time as she had been in prayer a while and lost track of the lateness of the hour. It is late in the day. There are only a few hours left before the sun goes down. I would suspect the evening meal draws close, I said. She arose from her kneeling position and backed up to sit in the first pew. Her eyes were still fixed on the cross. I walked up and sat beside her. Her face was sad, pensive. My lady, I started. The Hessians are determined to kill the beast. It's more than just a job to the colonel. It's a personal mission. She said that she understood, but that we must be moving on soon. There's something else, my lady. The Hessian knows you lied about being in Marcel when those people were killed. He is convinced you know the beast. She looked over at me for a moment, then back at the cross, and stated it didn't matter. She had to get to Trevor Doe as her grandmother was the most important person in the world to her. She lowered her head sadly and said softly, I will need you when the time comes. The colonel isn't just going to let us leave, I said. As her eyes remained on the cross, she said, Let me worry about him. When the time comes, make sure the horses are ready. If we can get through the valley, we will be all right. Yes, my lady, I said as I stood up. I bowed in respect to her, knelt at the end of the pew and made the sign of the cross. I then made my way to leave. As I opened the door, a servant came in. Lord Parlamay has asked me to inform you that supper is served in the main dining hall, my lady, announced the servant. She stood up and smiled at him as she started to make her way toward the door. I held the door for her as she followed the servant out. We walked through the foyer and she went toward the dining hall while I continued toward the front doors. She stopped and called out to me as I was leaving to ask if I was joining them for supper. No thank you, my lady. I'm going to give the horses their supper first. I still have some food left over from lunch. You know where to find me if you need me. I said as I exited the castle doors. I returned to the stables. The Hessians were now eating their supper outside the barracks. Some of the castle guards were seated with them. They all appeared to be getting along fine. The peasantry was moving about the castle grounds as the sun was beginning to hang low in the sky. They were finishing up their work for the day. Some were moving goods to the storage buildings while others were tending to livestock. As I was about to enter the stable, the sound of an alarm bell began to ring near the castle entrance. Everyone was alerted and frantically moving about. Guards on the high walls remained at their posts, but strained to see what was happening. The barracks became alive with activity. Castle guards ran from the barracks to the drawbridge. The colonel told his men to stay put, while he and one of his men ran to the gate. I ran past the barracks on my way there, too. The drawbridge was still down, and a crowd had gathered around a cart. A couple of villagers had pulled it across the bridge to the castle. In the back was one of the farmers. He was losing a lot of blood from a badly injured leg. He was writhing in pain and talking feverishly. Something had attacked him in the field. One of his sheep was torn apart, which caused the panicked herd to run deeper down the valley. He ran to investigate and was attacked. He managed to evade the creature and run back to the village, 
The beast caught up with him and tore open his leg. A few of the other farmers witnessed the attack, grabbed their muskets, but the creature ran off before anyone could fire. The castle physician came through the crowd and began to provide care. He was using some large cloths to apply pressure on the wounds. The cuts were deep and the victim had already lost a lot of blood. The Hessian colonel and his man arrived a few seconds before me. Describe the beast! The farmer could barely speak now. The loss of blood and severity of his wounds had taken their toll. He passed out and was barely alive. The physician gave the orders to take the farmer back to his quarters in the back. As they began pulling the cart away, Lord Parlamé, William, and my lady came out of the castle and ran over to the crowd. "'What has happened?' demanded Parlamé. One of the other farmers, who had saved the injured man, repeated the events. He then turned to the colonel and told him it was hard to see what did this. The sun was beginning to fail, and the shadows from the trees made it hard to identify anything. He described the creature as quite large with huge claws. He said it was dark, maybe black. The creature let off a hideous howl or scream, something that terrified everyone. When the colonel heard the farmer's description of the beast with large claws, he immediately turned and hurried back to the barracks. The Hessians grabbed their gear and ran to the livery. Within minutes, all the Hessians came out of the stables on their horses. They rode up to the crowd, stopping in front of Lord Parlamay. Get everyone inside the castle. No one is to leave until we return. We will take care of this, this night. Volker turned his horse toward the gate and used the reins to whip it in the rear. The Palomino reared upward and with powerful back legs sprung forward in full gallop. Volker used the reins to whip back and forth across the horse's back to increase its speed. His horse had moved so quickly he almost lost his tricorn. His men all kicked their horses into high gear as they followed him out of the castle across the drawbridge. Lord Parliament ordered the guards to start sounding the bell for all the villagers to come inside the castle walls. Hearing the order, the bells began to ring frantically. This was the signal for everyone in the village. As the bells were ringing, several guards stood at the drawbridge, ready to pull it up after everyone was inside. Guards on the walls readied their muskets. Others ran to the armory to load up. My lady walked over to me, leaned in and spoke softly. We have to get out of here before that drawbridge closes. Stay tuned for a preview of our next exciting chapter. I'm your host, Alan McGill. Thank you for joining me on this episode of A Cry in the Moon's Light. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us and click the like button, as well as leaving a review in the comments section. By doing this, it helps promote the show so we can gain more support. You can also show your support by going to buymeacupofcoffee.com forward slash Alan McGill. It's a good way to support authors and artists like myself. You can even download the Buy Me a Cup of Coffee app to make your contributions even easier. When you buy me a cup of coffee, you're not just supporting me, 
that you're supporting the show. While I am the narrator, sole producer, and performer, that cup of coffee helps me purchase the sound effects, artist illustrations, and original music written and performed by Joseph McDade. Go to buymeacupofcoffee.com forward slash Alan McGill. Before I sign off, I want to take a moment and acknowledge some great supporters of the show, like Joseph McDade, who provides original music to shows like this. You can find Joe at josephmcdade.com. Todd Yuri of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, who provided a quiet place to record the narrations for this show, and is always a supporter of the arts. Visit Todd at the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I want to thank the Writing Community Chat Show for their support of the show. The Writing Community Chat Show is a podcast that supports authors whenever they can, and they always have fascinating guests and interesting topics. I'd also like to thank another friend of the show, artist Brian Blackader. Brian is a very talented artist and has done several pieces depicting some scenes and characters from the show. You can reach Brian on Twitter at Brian Blackader or his Instagram page, instagram.com forward slash Brian Blackader. That's B-R-I-A-N-B-L-A-C-K-E-T-E-R. And lastly, I want to thank you again for being here. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope you join me again for another exciting episode of A Cry in the Moon's Light. In the next chapter, as Volker and the Hessians chase after the beast that attacked the villagers, Milady and the carriage driver make their escape, heading east through the dark forest. But fate is not on their side. When they arrive at the beach along the sea, they are attacked once again by the black wolf and his pack. Is this the end for Milady? Did the carriage driver survive? Find out next time in Chapter 6, The Masked Rider versus the Black Wolf. This podcast is the creation of Alan McGill. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.